millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Wimbledon Round 3 catch-up. Raducanu's Cinderella story continues. Federer stops a Nori fight back. And Daniel Medvedev battles back from the brink to beat Chilich. Kim is on holiday uh, this weekend. Lee has stepped in again, Lee, at Tennis on Telly. Thank you so much for filling in. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you back. I know you've got some big, big things to talk about for round three. It's been an exciting last couple of days, particularly, I think, for, for British fans. It may have started, I think, on a downer, in particularly in the men's side with you know Andy Murray and Dan Evans and, and Cam Norrie yesterday all going out. But we have had a ray of light, and, and that ray of light has been Emma Raducanu. It really, it really has. Um, I've been really impressed with, with what I've seen from Emma Raducanu. Um, you know, honestly, you, you couldn't ask for a better story at Wimbledon, could you, than, than a British player from a British perspective? You couldn't ask for a better, a better story than a British player, um, reaching the last, uh, the last 16 at Wimbledon. It's, it doesn't, especially one that many people probably haven't heard of before. Um, you know, she, she hasn't played on the, on the tour until this year. Um, she played at a match in Nottingham, um, her first ever WTA match on the tour, but she has been, obviously the right people are looking at her and seeing that, you know, she's, she's got talent and rewarding her for that and giving her a wild card. She's still doing her A levels, which is which is mad. Which is one of the reasons I think why she's not, you know, yeah. maybe that we've maybe as many people don't realise that she's a big prospect for you know for the women's game because we've not seen her at, at many tournaments and the tournaments she has playing have been these sort of lower profile, uh, you know, domestic tournaments in the UK. Um, but you know, this Wimbledon has really, I think, there's been a game changer. She's into the fourth round. She beat Serana Castella, 6-3, 7-5. Castella last round, I watched it, beat Azarenka. And she, you know, she 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 came into the tournament, I don't think, with the, the best results on grass. I don't think it's her most natural surface. But, you know, she's, you know, she's been around the tour a lot. She's got a lot of experience. And with the confidence of a big win like that against, you know, one of the big seeds in, in Azarenka, you know, I think many people were expecting her to come out as the the victor but Raducanu just it was having none of that she wasn't overawed by the occasion you know being put on number one court and you know coming up against someone you know with the quality of of Castella it was just it was just such a, a breath of fresh air well I think she she'd sort of proved herself that she could do that um already hadn't she with her mm. first round and her second round wins I mean to beat Vondrasova is is quite an achievement um you know she she reached the final at Roland Garros so I think 
she, she's proved that she's she's up there at that level. It's, obviously, she hasn't got the ranking to match that yet. But I think we're at a time at the moment where rankings are a little bit. Well, are they? You know, they're not really. <laughs> can't really read too much into rankings at the moment because they don't make any sense because we've had the the, the special rankings for the pandemic and everything. Um, what it will do to her ranking is she becomes the new British number four. Now she's overtaken Katie Bolter. She'll be around 175 in the rankings. That's, you know, that's going to get her into some decent level events. That's going to get her playing on the tour, probably qualifying at, at the, the bigger level events and probably direct entry into perhaps two fifties. Um, and especially, and especially one, two fives and, and some of the high level ITFs that she'll probably still want to play because I think to throw herself into that, um, you know, into that arena with the with with the big players all of the time might be a little bit too much for her, and she'll probably want to make sure that she sort of maintains that ranking. She's also going to be wary that if she gets good ranking points now, they're going to drop off in a year. So she wants to she's going to want to back up her progress here with something you know to keep her consistent. But you know, another win would put her around 130. I'm not saying that you know she can do it, but. There's a, there's a chat. <laughs> She's got Tom Lanovich, so you know it's not it's not a bad chance, is it? No, so, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. just talking. I mean, just talking about the the match in itself. Mm. You know, as I said, six three seven five straight sets. It was very nervy. I think towards the you know the back end of that second set, there were lots of break point chances, a lot of juice games, particularly I think on the the Castella serve, and I was sort of a bit nervous about you know as those break points came and went, I was sort of like, oh, was that was that Radicani's moment, but she she didn't blink. And I think that was no. what was really, really impressive given that, you know, she's still very early on in, in her what well, in her tennis career. She's only eighteen uh, years old. I think she's the youngest British woman to reach the round of, of sixteen at Wimbledon in the open era. Um so to kind of, you know, just kind of I think just move on and and sort of forget about those breakpoint chances and and just back yourself that you know another one is going to come along um i think it was really really impressive and i think what she showed to me on the court was you know her movement and her her shot making there were lots of like little angled shots that i think castella found kind of difficult i think to deal with and she, you know i think she exploited i think arguably i think castella's biggest weakness which was her movement around the court you could just see which is just a little bit uncomfortable, I think, from you know, moving from from left to right. So I think that was one of the things that Raducanu did very well. Oh yeah, definitely. She, you know, some of the accuracy on the angles that she was making, she was getting those balls right across the court and right into the corners where she needs to to make those winners. Some of that was breathtaking to to watch. Um, I was really, really impressed with that. <laughs> I think the commentator was, uh, well, the commentary team, I, I think they were almost surprised that she was being able to make these shots. You, you yeah. know, she was she was just playing very inspired tennis and showing us a level, I think, that, you know, we've, we've not seen or certainly not seen, I think, on a, on a stage like this before. And yeah, really kind of the, you know, the sky's the limit at the moment. And it definitely feels very much like, you know, Coco Goff's story, I think, breakout, you know, breakout story of the time. And it, it feels like this is now... I know, I don't know about you, Lee, but for me, this feels like the the, the Coco Goff story for for British fans. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, we'll we'll talk about. I think we'll talk about Coco Goff because Coco Goff, I think, 
um, when, if we go back to two years ago where sort of Coco Goff was going through that journey, she was obviously three years younger than Emma Raducanu is now. Um, there was a lot more pressure, I think, on Coco Goff than there is that then than there is on Emma Raducanu now. I think Coco Goff's come through that and, um, she's dealt with that very well. I mean, um, I thought personally Coco Goff might be what I call a one slam wonder um, two years ago, but she hasn't actually really gone away. I think I thought she'd probably, you know, she'd have a tournament where she does really well. She'd go away a little bit. She'd drop down a bit for a couple of years, still play, but obviously, but not be like, you know, high up on, on people's radars and then make a, a, you know, a proper better comeback, not better comeback, but a proper comeback. And sort and then, you know, when she was a bit older, but She's been quite consistent, you know. She's equaled that run that she had in 2019 so far this year um, at Wimbledon. Um, she reached the quarterfinals at Roland Garros. Um, I didn't watch her singles match, but I watched her doubles on Friday, and she looked like she was having fun while she's playing as well, which I think always helps. You know, I don't think she's feeling that pressure. I think with Emma Raducanu, I think you know, I don't think the pressure has been quite as much as it was on Coco Goff two years ago. I don't know whether that's because she's doing this in the bubble so therefore there's not all of the outside pressure she's only got the people really that she's with I think she probably doesn't pay attention Emma Raducanu probably doesn't pay attention to the media she probably uh, you know I've seen her on Instagram but <laughs> but she's not like it's I don't think she's doing that all of the time she's you know that's it's not like straight after the match and she's not reading comments and I don't think she's you know I think she's spending the time with her team first you know talking about you know her game and putting that first which is probably the right thing to do yeah definitely and I mean it was quite funny to hear I think Radicanu say she uh, you know what are you going to do now that there's going to be so much hype on you going into the you know the second week and she said oh I'll just hand my phone to my osteo and they can they they can take (laughs) care of it um so yeah she I think she's going to do really well I think not to kind of yeah you know, be, I guess believe the hype, but it's it's hard not to, isn't it? She's just kind of played. She's kind of come out of nowhere. She, I think she was the lowest ranked player in the draw, mm. and into the second week, it really is a, a remarkable, a remarkable run. And uh, as you said, I think it is it is a situation where rankings really at the moment. I mean, we've said this before, I think, on the podcast. Like rankings really go out have gone out the window at the moment because of the the pandemic and although she was the lowest ranked player in the draw she's certainly not playing the like the tennis of of that level and you know to see her I think particularly you know with the the way you know she her her manner on court her presence particularly I think in the that post-match kind of interview on court she definitely has a I think a maturity that goes beyond her years and I think she was like almost kind of like ready for this moment and She's, you know, taking it by the horns. Mm, I did wonder if perhaps um, we might have had a similar story with Jack Draper had he had a had he had a better draw and not faced Djokovic in the first yeah. round. I think yeah. you know he did really well to take a set off Novak Djokovic um, in that first round match, and he'd really you know he he sort of announced himself at Queens and has played really well as well. Um, unfortunately, the draw's not been very kind to him. But I do wonder if there might have been uh, a similar story there had that draw been kinder to Jack Draper. I mean, he'll be someone who we will see. He's still the only person to take a set off. Uh, off exactly. So far. And and he was also, the I think, the lowest ranked male player in the draw as well. So, the, you know, there's a parallel there with, with Emma Raducanu. Um, 
in terms of, you know, their background, they've not really played at those tour level events. I think it's a very similar story. Like between, during the pandemic, they didn't really play many events, um, played some, you know, events that didn't attract ranking points, but, um, but were good for, for earning some money, um, so that they could go out and then play events, you know, into next year and the year after, which is what was the purpose of those events, like the, um, the progress tour and the, and the pro league that, that went on. Um, you know, I'm, Emirata kind of won the pro league, the one that ended at the end of 2020. So I think, you know, the people at the LTA certainly saw enough to put her forward for a wild card. I did read that they'd actually asked for a main draw wild card, um, but the, um, the All England club had turned it down and put it as a qualifying wild card and then saw her play in the Nottingham ITF the second week at Nottingham and changed their minds and upgraded <laughs> it for her. So, you know, um, and, and, Aren't, aren't we glad that they did? You know, it would have been a big mistake had they not done if if she'd had to come through qualifying as well. I'm not sure. Um, you know, you just never know, do you? Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, really impressed. Um, we touched on Coco Golf um a little bit. Um, she won six three six three. Um, beat Kaya Jovan of Slovenia sixty five minutes. So that's you know quite a a decent solid win for her um i did like i say i didn't watch the singles match i don't know if you you had any thoughts on how she'd played in that match yeah so i think yeah coco goff another teenager who is doing really well she had a really 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 solid season she reached the the quarterfinals for the first time uh at a grand slam last month at roland garros and she's just kind of continuing that and continuing her development which I think we'll always kind of obviously associate her with that, you know, that breakthrough at Wim, you know, Wimbledon as a, as a 15 year old qualifier. But again, to see that, I think development this season at SW19 has been very, very impressive. And although I think, you know, she's been faced caliber of opponents that yes, she would be expected to beat. She's just going through the rounds quite easily. No fuss. And again, it's been very, it's been very slick and, and mature. And it was interesting to hear her talk about her serve being uh, one of the reasons I think that she's been playing kind of so well. And, um, you know, she just, uh, yeah, I think he's going to be a threat kind of going into the second week. I don't necessarily think she's had a, 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 a test yet and maybe kind of going into the second week um you know there there are certainly going to be kind of sterner tests coming but i certainly think that coco goff kind of this this tournament has shown how much she has developed from that you know 15 year old kind of qualifier story we had you know a few seasons ago yeah it's interesting they always seem to put her on center court as well which Mm. kind of to me in my head thinks that's adding pressure onto her, but she seems to handle it quite well. Um, but I do wonder if actually, is it right that she always gets a match on center court? I, I'm interested by that one. Cause yeah, I've, I've seen, I've seen this as well. You know, she, all of her, I think matches, uh, well, a lot of her matches, yeah, been on the show courts on number one and center. I don't know if tournament organizers are seeing, you know, seeing her as like, ah, uh, who's going to fill the Serena Williams void. Uh, you know, we need some big yeah. names, being put on kind of the, the show courts, particularly on the women's side, with big players going out like you know Serena Williams, Venus Williams, Azarenka, mm. um, and I certainly think you know this tournament because those big names have gone out early. I certainly think that the the kind of the the rationale for putting players like Coco Goff on, I think, is to get people known to these kind of personalities who they might have heard a bit more about 
you know, in the in the build up or, or the previous seasons based on, you know, based on her story so far. Yeah. And I think the, there's there's an added element to playing on centre court is that you get the the TV coverage and you get all of the mm. stuff that goes around the TV coverage in terms of the interviews and the features and that. And and, and that can be a lot of media pressure. Um, I think they've done the right thing with Emma Raducanu. They've not put her on centre court every day. Um, I don't think she, you know, centre court and number one court are very similar. So I don't think that honestly there's really much in that and she has played on number one court now but I think that you know she's not been sort of thrown in at the deep end um but I did wonder about centre court um assignments particularly you know when you look at normally you you see former champions get put on centre court as well because they're people that people have heard of like Venus Williams I know Kim has expressed her opinion on this <laughs> earlier in the week that she didn't necessarily think that Venus had perhaps earned perhaps that's a bit harsh saying using that word but perhaps not um been worthy of being put on center court this year because she's so low low ranked but you look at someone like Angie Kerber she is a former champion she's still she's she's seeded at this tournament yet she hasn't played on center court yet although she did play her first round match on court number one um uh, you know it, it kind of feels like she's now only going to play her next match on centre court because she's going to play Coco Goff <laughs> and they're putting that match on centre court for Coco and not for Kerber do you do you feel that way or I mean let's talk about the kind of two I mean there's two kind of former Grand Slam champions uh you know in the draw mm. uh on court yesterday in Angie Kerber but also Yelena Ostapenko let's start with let's start with Kerber because she came through a bit of a top, topsy-turvy match against Saznovich. Two six six love six one. I think there are always going to be questions about you know she had that absolute mammoth match against uh, Sara Cerebes Torbo in the previous round. So it was great, I think, to see her come through another sort of three set match. And I think again, it was maybe she had to find a little bit of time to you know find her her range against Saznovich. But um, yeah, it was a very it was a very good performance. I think if you just kind of discount that that first set, but. Yeah, I think I think you do. I do agree. I do think she's kind of going under the radar a bit in terms of. Yeah, she is a, a former champion. I think you know a lot of people forget she beat you know Serena Williams in a, a Grand Slam final, which is no no mean feat. But um, I certainly think that she's flying under the the radar, even which sort of seems silly because you know she is the the bad Homburg champion. You know she's got mm. she's got form. She is peaking at the right time. But I, I certainly actually think that playing on more on these outside courts and you know, being with the the fans in, in close proximity, I think has sort of helped her. And, you know, yes, we didn't get the, the Kerber Serena Williams match that, you know, people had earmarked kind of for round three, but I think Kerber's making the most of it. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I switched onto that match or rather I was watching the, the, the sort of the build up on the BBC and then they went to that match and it, she was five one down in the first set. Mm. And I thought, yikes, that's not good. <laughs> it's all going the wrong way. Um, and then the rain stuff, then the rain came. So, um, I literally saw one point of that first set, um, because of that. Um, but yeah, she obviously, I think the rain delay helped her because she came back and she, she, um, although she, she eventually did lose that first set, I think she'd probably got during that rain delay, she probably thought, right, right off the first set and then concentrate on, on, you know, because to come back from 5-1 down is, is a tougher ask, probably. It was than... a very fast start, wasn't it, from Sasnovich? Yes. She hit like 15 winners. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a fast start. And maybe it caught Kerber cold a little bit. I um, think so. 
So, you know, the fact that she was able, I think, you know, she's a Grand Slam champion. You know, she knows what it has, you know, she knows what it has to take. And putting all that effort in against Cerebus Torbo in the, in the round before, she wouldn't have wanted to go out in straights to, to Sazdovic. And yeah, I, I agree. I think that that rain delay sort of helped her. I think maybe even come up with a different strategy, a plan B that she was able to execute. And Sazdovic didn't really have an answer to it. Yeah, well, Kerber may have extended her winning streak from a title before Wimbledon, but the um, the champion in Eastbourne, Ostapenko, <laughs> has seen hers come to an end. Um, oh my god, yeah. this match, this match, this match, Kim, this match, Lee. Oh my god, <laughs> I, I feel mean, like, I feel like so the, much drama. <laughs> I feel like the tennis was a bit of a sideshow from what <laughs> yes. was going on in the actual <laughs> match. I mean, just just to sum up what happened, um, Ostapenko took a medical timeout. She was down love four in the third set. And uh, Isla Tom Lamagic accused her of faking the medical timeout, um, which, you know, we, we I think players have done in the past because they've got themselves into that position where they thought I need a break. The only way I'm going to get a break and sort myself out is to get a medical time, not pointing any fingers at anyone in particular. Um, but players have done it in the past. We know that. Um, but yeah, so then there was all sorts of beef at the, at the end of the match with the handshake or not handshake and, you know, calling out to each other across. And then it carried on in the press conferences, <laughs> it did let accusing up, each it? other of, of, of being disrespectful to each other. And oh my God. Yeah. So, um, the, the actual tennis itself is, is forgotten about. It's, it's all about what happened. You know, the, the verbals, I think was, yeah. But I mean, her serve was almost non-existent in the third set, Ostapenko, Ostapenko. So I think, you know, that, leads me to think that perhaps there was uh, a niggle of some kind or an injury. I'd, I'd, you know, give her the benefit of the doubt with that one because... Giving her the benefit of the doubt? I'm absolutely not giving her the benefit of the doubt. I think, you know, (laughs) just just watching it on on TV and watching the highlights afterwards, I, you know, I have to say fair play to Ilya Tomjanovic because she called it out on court and I, I, you know, I sort of agree with her. You know, her opponent, Ostapenko, was four love down. She was looking for some, something to, I think... Dis- disrupt Tom Janovic, you know, a player who is not very good at, at closing out big matches. We saw that at you know, the Australian Open against Simona Halep. I think she was 5-2 up in the third set. And I think, you know, I think Ostapenko knew that. And she just thought, if I can get into her head somehow, then maybe, you know, th- that then we could have another Simona Halep situation on our hands. And that's why I think she maybe kind of called uh, for that um, that medical timeout. And I've got to say, I think, I, I, ju- I just think the WTA and or the, a- the ATP is, well, they just need to clamp down on this. It's getting a bit silly. We've seen these tactical timeouts, uh, you know, at play before. Mm-hmm. It's happened once again. Oh, yeah, it definitely happens. And I'm, I'm just a bit like, you know, uh, uh, to Tom Janovic's point, Ostapenko having an abdominal acute injury after playing an hour 30 minutes of tennis, all of a sudden, it just felt a bit too good to be true. Well, I, di- I did wonder what was the reason for Ostapenko being glove four down in that third set. Was that because there was a niggle or was that literally just because just she was playing bad and, and Tom Landovich was playing better than her? I mean, fair play. She did have a long match, I think, against Kasatkina in, in the round before. So, you know, maybe there was some you know hangover from that in terms of her in terms of her body but i've got to be siding with i feel i've got to be siding with tobjanovic on this and um you know she i think is a a consummate kind of professional 
you know, she said in her you know press conference afterwards that you know, regardless of all the drama that happened, you know, her feelings towards winning exceeded that. So, you know, I'm really happy for her because, as I said, she is a player I think who's got tremendous capability uh, on on a tennis court, tremendous talent, but has not necessarily been able to to close those big matches. And you know, maybe the tide has turned kind of with this performance because. It certainly was topsy-turvy. It certainly was, you know, a battle. Uh, but to see kind of Tom Janovic come through to the the second week um, was really impressive. And, you know, I think she she spoke about, you know, the fact that, you know, she's 27 now. And she, I think, over kind of lockdown was reflecting on, you know, what are her achievements so far? And she's like, when is my moment going to happen? And, uh, you know, I think certainly, you know, the fact that she's got, um, you know, the fact that she's got, is it Kerber in the next round? No, she, Tom Lanovich, she's got Emma oh, Raducanu in the next round. The fact that she's got Raducanu <laughs> in, in the next round, she, <laughs> yeah. all, you know, all the non-British fans will be looking at and thinking, you know, that's a big opportunity for Tom Lanovich to, to make a quarterfinal. Um, let's talk about the men um, because we've not talked about them yet. Um, we need to talk about Cam Norrie, I think. Um, the last British hope in the men's draw um, lost to Roger Federer. Uh, personally, I don't think that was unexpected um I think you know Cam Norrie is a good player on his day but Federer is a very good player on his day so um how do you think I'm interested to hear how you thought Federer played um and then me being a Cam Norrie fan I'll I'll talk (laughs) about how I felt Cam Norrie played you know with this match you know I think Federer again I think you know, he had that, I think he was able to really kind of rediscover his mojo against Gasquet mm. in the second round. And I think he kind of continued, obviously continued that on. It looked a lot better, hit 48 winners. You know, I was I was sort of wondering, because I, I actually felt Norrie's game is a little bit similar to Manorino uh, mm. in, in the first yeah. round, in the sense that it's quite flat, uh, it's quite low. Um, yes, th- maybe Norrie doesn't have the, the variety that maybe hindered him against someone like Federer. But I wondered, you know, the way that Manorino was able to be awkward, um, you know, with his, his gameplay, whether Nori could also be as awkward given their kind of similar styles. Um, and I sort of felt that Nori was sort of threatening to do the unthinkable and maybe take it to maybe take it to a fifth set and I think you can tell by the you know the expressions afterwards from Federer you know he said I'm super relieved as it was a tough battle you can tell that you know he sensed there was a a momentum shift brewing uh but he was he was very happy I think to be able to nip it in the bud I think I think for Cam on Cam Norrie's point of view I think he was very nervous going into that match and that really showed in, in you know for throughout probably most of the first set um I think had he come on to Was it his first match on center court? I don't think he has played on center court before. I know he's certainly not played Norrie on center court. Sorry, he's certainly not played Federer on center court before. He's only played Federer before the Hotman Cup. Um but he but I I don't think Norrie has had inexperience on that big stage because he's played Nadal on Chatrier this year. So, you know, it's a very similar experience playing on the big stage. Um, but I did think that he came into that with, you know, the weight of the own, you know, the last British person in the draw. You know, some people have had some small doubts about Roger Federer and how far he could go. And therefore, was there that a bit more pressure on him to, um, to do well and to sort of make a statement. And I think he just came in 
full bag of nerves at the beginning and um had that not been the case had this been you know on court 12 or 18 or at a different event um it might have been a different story you know had there not been that pressure but uh yeah um he, he did find his rhythm eventually but i think it was just too late i think you know he probably would have done better to um n- not have those nerves at the beginning and um play you know perhaps that would have then you know been you know perhaps one yeah. set each at one point rather than being mm. two sets down i don't know yeah you felt that set yeah you felt that second set was was quite pivotal and mm. you know i think we you know with nori he's done as well as he probably could have you know looking at the draw federer in, in the third round taking him to four sets yeah pretty pretty good account of himself again it will be a case of i think just continuing to eat up the you know eat up the wins on the the atp tour and just kind of continue the you know continue that consistency across the whole season I don't think his first title is very far away, to be honest, Nori. He's, no. he's, he's not going to play the Olympics and he's going to go and play Los Cabos next. Um, he loves it in the heat in Mexico and he, and he loves playing. I think he's going to play Atlanta and then, you know, prepare for the US Open. That is the, the stage that he really suits his game and, and he likes playing on. So I think that's, you know, why he's not going to go to the Olympics. He's going to concentrate on that. And I, I'm hopeful that, you know, he will have a good run there. Um, just to mention that he won in the doubles with his partner Munar and they knocked out the fifth seed. So it's not all bad for, for, for Cam <laughs> Norrie. And that was after, you know, on the night after the loss to Federer. So, you know, and it, you know, I could tell that he really enjoyed that and he really put a lot of, a lot into that. So, um, I think, I don't think he's the kind of person who, um, sees that loss as Federer as, okay, that's a real, you know, I don't think he sees that as a real downer. He'll see that he took a set off him and he'll probably, you know, have, have analyzed it in the same way that we have that, could have gone in there without the nerves and perhaps you know but he'll know that and, and i think he's 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 very honest to himself about about his play so yeah and we had two other sort of dramatic matches for different reasons uh we had medvedev versus chilich with medvedev winning from two sets to love down which i think was the first time he's achieved that um and then we also had nick kyrgios against uh, felix auger aliasim uh which ended in a uh, retirement uh Kyrgios had to leave he had an abdominal injury um at one set all um let's so let's quickly touch on the, the Medvedev match I think first of all because again this was a a, a first foot for Medvedev he was you know six seven three six down against Chilich who I think is like nine and one uh win-loss record on grass courts this season that to come back from that against a, a player of Chilich's caliber I think was very very impressive you can you know he won those final three sets very you know formulaically which you know very pragmatically 6-3 6-3 6-2 um but I think Medvedev will have you know even greater confidence now the fact that he's gone to the you know he's gone to a, a five set uh he's got a five set win but the fact that he was two sets down to do that um was very very impressive yeah, I think that will do a lot for his confidence, um, knowing that you can win a match from two sets down. Um, I did look at this one in the drawer and th- before it happened, and I think that's got a potential for being five sets, but I didn't think it would be two sets down and a comeback. I thought it would be more evenly matched throughout. So that surprised me. Um, I did tip Medvedev to win that one. Um, pr- pretty much, you know, based, based on Medvedev being the higher ranked player. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> 
Chilich, I mean, Chilich has got form for this, having led two sets and then lost, um, lost in five. I think, you know, over the last few years, he's did it, he lost to Federer that way. He's lost to Payer that way. Um, you know, it's, it's not, and it's, 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 you've always got a chance. Yeah. You've, you've, but also I think it, it's going to probably be a real knock to his confidence. Um, I mean, you know, Chilich, he's, he's getting on a bit now, isn't he? He's been around for donkey's years, but, um, it's probably still going to be a knock to his confidence to be two sets up. And then, you know, something in the match changes, whether it's himself or whether it's the opponent that switches it around and it doesn't, um, is, is that because he, is that because he's playing now at a, at a level that is not suited to, to five set matches? Um, and that, you know, that's perhaps pushing it a bit too far for him now. I don't know. Yeah. It felt, it felt a little bit, you know, on, I think on a smaller scale to you know when Roger Federer played uh, Pete Sampras all those years ago, I think it was a, felt maybe like a passing of the torch, maybe, maybe mm. like on a smaller scale yeah. because Chilich is one of those players who you know has given us fantastic memories, uh, you know, at Wimbledon over the years. Um, but coming up against one of the the new guys, uh, Medvedev, who again has a very as a game that is very, I think well suited to to a grass court and was able to find a way to kind of get it done um another player who also has a game for a grass court with his big serve is nick kyrgios um and unfortunately he had to retire um at one set all against felix auger ali asim um you could tell i think kyrgios was was hampered particularly in that that second set uh with regards to his serve which is probably his most potent weapon let's be honest um bit a bit you know obviously for fans a bit disappointing i think everyone was sort of circling that match as one that could be a, a real epic but um yeah it was i think unfortunate for for nick kyrgios i think though you've got let's we've got to be realistic here his body kind of let him down and i think it, it probably showed him or made him realize that if he wants to kind of compete on the tour regularly um you know he's going to need to take care of his body he can't just you know, turning up and, and doing your thing is, is only going to help you so many times. And yes, that helped him in round one. Yes, that helped him in round two. But at some point, it felt that, yeah, his his body was maybe going to give. And it did against Auger Aliassime. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was really struggling to serve, wasn't he? And it, it, there's no point carrying on if it's only going to make the, the, the pain and worse as well. Um, but there was a funny moment in that match. Well, there was two funny moments in that match. Well, well one, one at the very start of the match, Kyrgios forgot his shoes. I mean, how do you start <laughs> a tennis match? and forget to bring on your mm. shoes. And the referee had to come out and bring the shoes on for him at the start <laughs> of the match. I, I don't understand how that happens, but obviously in the mind, in the mind of Nick Kyrgios, <laughs> what is going on for that to happen? <laughs> and Lee, I was, I was almost expecting him to, I wouldn't have put it past Nick Kyrgios. If he wasn't able to serve properly, I wouldn't have, ex- I would have I've almost fully expected him just to, just to go underarm serve like every point. Um, but it, it didn't come to that, but um yeah, it was a bit of a. It was a bit of a. I think it was a bit of a shame. Um, you know, FAA. I think would be very happy that he wasn't kind of tested. I think to the full because, you know, he he is again one of these players. He's just kind of coming through. He's riding on a wave of confidence. You know, with that final. Uh, you know, in Stuttgart. You know, getting to the semi-finals in Halle. It's just continuing his his form, and it's got a lot better. I think. Uh, since the, the clay season, which wasn't 
wasn't particularly good, went out early, you know, in, in Roland Garros. Um, but it feels like the grass has, has really kind of, I think, rejuvenated his season. The other moment in that match was um, Kyrgios pretty much trolled Felix into challenging. He, he <laughs> told him to challenge and he did. And it was a bad challenge. And obviously he lost a challenge for that. I mean, you know, the, the, I think you talked about it in the last pod with, with, with Kim when you were previewing this match. You said, oh, Felix, all Felix needs to do is just completely ignore what was going on the other end of the court. <laughs> and, and, <he> didn't. <laughs> and he took the bait and <laughs> fell for you it. You love to see it. It's the fad. You love to see it. But yeah, OGL <laughs> team did get sold down a the river there, didn't he? Yeah. The, the um, we also, very quickly before we just kind of go to an ad break, we did have straight sets with for Ilya Vashka, Matteo Berrettini, Lorenzo Sonigo and Hubert Hercaj. Um, quite impressive. Italy, you know, Sonigo, I, I, I described him, Lee, as Bambi on ice when I saw him uh, at Queen. So for him to get to the, the second week on a surface that I, I, you know, I was not, you know, I was expecting, I think he's done a lot better here than he did at, um, you know, I think in the, in, in the French Open, he went out in the first round to Lloyd Harris. Um so for him to do much better on, on the grass is, is sort of surprising. But yeah, again, Italian tennis doing doing very, very well for themselves. And Sonego's got Federer next, so... Oh, yeah. that should be, <laughs> should be a walk in the park. Yeah. And just a word on, um, just a word on Hubert Hercatch. He's the only player who hasn't dropped his serve yet so far this Wimbledon. So he's into the fourth round, hasn't dropped his serve so far, um, which is, I think, is quite an achievement, so... A very dangerous player. I think he was on a bit of a lousy, I think he was on a li- bit of a losing streak going into Wimbledon. So he's mm. definitely, definitely going to be a dangerous player to watch. But, uh, listeners, we're going to be taking a quick break now. I hope you can join us in the second half where we are going to be looking back on all the results from day five, including Andy Murray and Dan Evans. So don't go anywhere. This episode of The Passing Shot is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming to ensure you can always have new balls, please. And just in time for the grass court season, Manscaped have launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the appropriately titled Lawnmower 4.0. Over lockdown, tending to my nether regions has become an important routine, including the all-important issue of ball trimming. I love the lawnmower's smooth, comfortable grooming experience that gives me next-level attention to detail. And it makes an excellent gift for a male partner, friend or family member who maybe has a bit too much ball fuzz down there. So the Lawnmower 4.0 will serve up a right treat. Use Manscaped now with our exclusive code PSPOD20 to get 20% off and free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com. That's PSPOD20. Links in the description. Your balls will thank you. This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, uh, well I say Joel and Lee, uh, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we are going to move back, move on and look back on day five. And Lee, I think we're going to have to start on, for British fans, on a bit of a downer. We've got to talk about Andy Murray and Dan Evans on Friday, both on on centre court, both unfortunately losing. Um, I think, you know, let's start with the, you know, the Andy Murray match. He came up against Dennis Shapovalov. I mean, he lost 6-4, 6-2, 6 Let's be honest, it was a bit of a thumping. Um, he wasn't quite able to get it together. Um, it, you know, there was no there was no heroics as much as I think Sue Barker on the BBC was, was hoping it was going to be a thriller. Um, but yeah, Shapovalov was very, very, very professional. He got on court, he knew what he wanted to do, and I 
you know, as much as Andy Murray wasn't able to play his game, I don't think Shapovalov let him. No, definitely. I mean, I kind of expected this. Um, you know, um, I think Andy Murray is still, I think he's, I don't think he's reached the sort of the peak of this sort of comeback. Um, but I think he's still finding his feet a little bit. Um, you know, I don't think he's quite got the, the match. You know, he said himself, he needs to get play matches to play better. Um, and I think he's, he's still working towards that aim of where he wants to be. But, and, you know, it, I think he was quite down after this match, but he has said generally overall that he enjoys playing. So, um, I'm hoping that he looks back on what, on that, those thoughts in the past and, and, you know, t- towards the future. But I mean, Shapovalov is, is, playing in form at the moment. He's had a lot of grass. Um, he played at Queens. He played at Stuttgart. Um, he was also fresh from a walkover. So he didn't have a second round match to play. Um, after Andujar withdrew after that long, long match with, uh, her bear on Tuesday, which my auntie watched all the way through <laughs> <laughs> on court five or whatever court it was out there. Um, yeah. So, you know, Obviously, Shapovalov had a lot, a lot of time to prepare and rest his body ahead of that match, um, which Murray perhaps hadn't had so much of. So I kind of expected um, Shapovalov to to win that match, perhaps not quite the thumping that he had. Yeah. Um, and he perhaps, yeah, could have done a bit, little bit more. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I feel that was the, the right level for Andy to go out of this tournament when you look at it on paper at the start of the tournament. Yeah, it was it was funny because I, I, it, it, the match I think really hint, it really pivoted I think on you know the the business end of the first set I think when it was kind of like you know you know Shapovalov was I think what five one up and then Murray broke back and he was trying to break back again and that for me was the moment uh, you know where you know you felt like Murray needed to win that first set and as soon as he didn't it it sort of I think snowballed from there really. But I mean, Shapovalov, I mean, he hit 45 winners, 13 aces. His serve looked, I mean, we talk a lot about his, his single handed backhand, which is an absolute delight. Um, but his serving was just, it was just phenomenal. And even when the roof came on, it helped Shapovalov and his serve even more. And I think what was kind of most, you know, worrying, I think, you know, in that match as it kind of progressed was the fact that, you know, Shapovalov and his his second serve, he was really going for it. He was finding the lines. And, you know, even Murray is one of the, you know, one of the best returners in the game. He just was not able to get a look in, even on Shapovalov's second serve. And that, as, and as a result, he was just finding it very, very hard to, uh, you know, break him down. And Shapovalov played the, you know, he played the break points very well as well. He saved eight of nine. Um, so... Yeah, it was a very, you know, very, very good performance. He gave a very classy interview as well afterwards, I thought, you know, saying that, you know, Murray's legend and he's, he's already looked up to him. And this match was very much a dream kind of dream come true for him. So you know, I'm, I'm, although I'm a bit sad about Murray, I'm, I'm quite happy for Shapovalov because I, I did think he, he needed a statement win. Um, and I, I think, you know, I, I think, although I think, and, you know, this is an Andy Murray that is not the Andy Murray of, you know, a few years ago um it certainly was a i certainly think it was a, a standout performance that again will set him up well uh you know going into the second week with a match that 
Lee, I'm just going to say now, it feels like it's got five sets written all over it against uh, the semi-finalists from 2019, Roberto Bautista Agut. Yeah, I think that might be might be a, a an interesting one and, and a tough one for both of them. I feel like I feel like Shapovalov has um, matured over the last few years, and he's showing that now. Um, he, he he looks more grown up as a person. Um, he's got chest hair now, which he didn't have three years ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I found some pictures of him from 2018, and he looks like a baby, like with the long hair. Um, yeah, I think he's he's you know I always la- oh, it, it always made me laugh when um, on the BBC John Lloyd um, talked about you know his. Um, when he looks at the players and he always picks out Shapovalov as a future Grand Slam champion. And in my head, I've always been mm, not quite sure about that, John, but actually now I think, you know, potentially he, he may be right. Um, and he may have been right all this time. So, um, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing a lot more of Shapovalov in the future. Um, I think he's, he's got some, some good things coming. Um, just, just, Going back to Andy, I wondered what your thoughts on his future. I, I, you know, touched on where, where do you think where do you think his his limit is on this comeback? Yeah. I mean, it's it's I mean, it's it's the million dollar question, isn't it? As you said, he was I think quite downbeat in his his press conference afterwards. You know, he was talking about you know you know the fact that he's kind of put you know everything into the last kind of three months, and all he's got to show for it is third you know a third round at, at Wimbledon and I think he was looking at it very much glass glass half empty um you know if, if this is the best I can do what's you know what's the point in carry on is it was essentially the, the sentiment that he was kind of conveying but I think that was more for me kind of sort of a, a knee-jerk I, I hope anyway was a knee-jerk reaction to a a pretty crushing defeat I think you know in the I think you know with more time to reflect I think you'll realize actually the fact that he's done that with, you know, only three months kind of work being hampered by, you know, a groin injury that, you know, not even doctors could kind of figure out. I think that was a pretty, you know, pretty kind of impressive showing. And, you know, you look at, you know, you look at him versus, you know, Nick Kyrgios, for example, both, both players have very little, had very little match practice going into a Wimbledon. And, and it was Nick Kyrgios whose, whose body kind of, shut down on him it it wasn't Andy you know it wasn't Andy Murray's that's not the the issue um I think the, the question obviously is that he wants to compete he wants to be back on the tour he's obviously going to need to get his his ranking up he's not going to be able to rely on on wild cards forever but he's going to need to find a way with his team you know to work and understand his the best sort of training schedule that enables him to play in week in week out because he can't it's going to be pointless if he keep, or he's just going to get frustrated with himself. I think if he's just going to have these stop start, you know, moments where yes, he can play one tournament here, get a wild card there, but then have to stop. And he doesn't want that. I think if that, if, if it gets to that sort of situation, then I think we are, we're going to be, have to sadly be looking at, you know, you know, the, the future post tennis. But I think certainly at the moment, given the way he has played should give him some encouragement given the way his body has played should give him some encouragement and you know the fact that he got to the third round yes that will boost his ranking and I'm I'm hoping that he can get to a point where he can be more I think self-sufficient on the ATP tour not just sort of relying on well I don't think he's not he's not going to be able to rely on on wild cards forever. 
No, and I think and I think the move to the hard courts is only going to be tougher on his body as well. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how far he can go in the Olympics and whether he plays anything then before the US Open. Um, I, I I don't know, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Let's talk about Dan Evans uh, against Sebastian Corder, uh, the other uh, match on centre that day involving a Brit. Corder came through 6-3, 6-3, against Dan Evans. I mean, on paper, a bit of a bit of an upset. You know, Evans is the, the 21st seed. But we, you know, I, I think tennis fans know Corder as a player who, I mean, at 20 years old, American, he showed you know, his family, you know, his his, his DNA. Um, he's just, you know, a very, very, very big prospect i think for the future and i think what was so remarkable about that match was uh you know going beyond yeah his serve and and saving lots of break points it was his composure it really felt that when he was on court he just was not phased by anything he wasn't phased by dan evans he wasn't phased by british crowd and you know he would have never been in that situation before the fact he was on center against a, a british hope he just he just he just seemed to he just seemed to revel in it and Mm. he just never seemed flustered even when it was when even when he lost that second set he had a swagger and a confidence about him that (laughs) you know you just felt that he he knew he you know deep down he was going to be able to get the job done I think I think Corda has been very impressive this week um he I had before the draw happened um I probably wouldn't have picked out Corder to beat Evans. But after I saw him beat Alex de Menor on Tuesday, I was at the end of that match um, on court 17 and was really impressed with how Corder had played. So I knew he was uh, like a dangerous opponent. Um, So I was expecting that to be a tough one for Dan Evans. Um, I think Evans, by his own admission, probably didn't quite play as good as he could have done. Um, but then he often says that after a loss and I don't think we should read too much into it. So, um, he does, you know, he does put a downer on himself and he does berate himself after a loss, loss quite well rather than sort of think and analyze it, um, as much as some other players do. So yeah, um, disappointing for Dan Evans, but like you say, it, it, it's on, on paper, it's an upset, but was it really an upset? I think you could, yeah. If you look at the play, if you looked at the, the level of tennis that they brought, I think, yeah, Cordler just had an answer to most of the the questions that, that Dan Evans was throwing at him. So, you know, very, very, very impressive there. Now, if, you know, for him, I think, you know, for Cordler now, everything, everything is a bonus. <laughs> um, so let's let's see how he goes. Um, just one other match, I think, uh, to talk about. Um, you know, on the men's side from that day, we had Novak Djokovic against Dennis Kudler, came through in straight sets, very fun match. I mean, it, it very easily could have gone to four. Um, Cudler was up in that tie break in the third. He was up a break as well in that third. So Novak Djokovic was did very well to to kind of come through that um, in straights. Bit of an interesting, um, you know, <laughs> bit of an interesting uh, quote afterwards about his match, talking about wolf energy, saying, "I spent a lot of time in the mountains with wolves, so this is a wolf energy." What what was that about? Do, uh, do you know what i i don't I don't try to understand <laughs> what goes on in the mind of Novak Djokovic. It's it, it sounds like a very 
scary place. <laughs> um, but it kind of, it, you know, if, if it kind of explains, I think for me, some of the behavior that we see from Djokovic on the court, you know, with, if you look back at the, the semi final at, at Roland Garros, where he let out that proper good roar at the end, um, which kind of took everyone by very surprise. Prim- yeah, very primal. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's where the wolf energy started. Yeah, maybe. Um... It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, trying to understand the things that go on in, Novak Djokovic's head is is not somewhere that that I would <laughs> want to go to. So, um, but yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I, I was trying to understand because I, I I did see I did hear the quote, but I I'm not sure what the questioning that led to that answer was. Yeah, it was bizarre. Um, it was bizarre. Um, but it was it was it wasn't it John Inverdale that was asking the questions, and it was um, John Inverdale has a knack for asking some bizarre questions as well. So. Um, yeah. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? I mean, we also had, as I said, I, I already kind of mentioned, we had Roberto Bautista go through against Dominic Kupfer. Had quite yeah. a nasty fall earlier on in that mm. match. So I'm, I'm glad he, he was able to get up and, and come through that. Rublev is just progressing through the draw. Uh, looked quite good against Fornini. Um, Christian Garin, who is defying all my sort of expectations of him as just a serial clay quarter. Yes. Um, is through to the second week. Um, so that's been quite uh, you know, impressive for him, living up to his his seeding, I think. Um, and then Fuchovic taking out Schwartzman again. Yes, uh, upset on paper, but not totally surprising. Um, but yeah, catching off uh, as well against TFO. TFO obviously taking out Sissipas early on in the competition. So some very good victories there. But um, let's move on to the the women's side because Lee, we need to talk about the match. Arguably one of the matches of the tournament so far, Gibinia Muguruza versus Ons Yabor. Uh, Ons Yabor winning 5 7 6 3 6 2, two hours, 25 minutes. She, th- she threw up along the way as well. Um, and although I think Muguruza saved what felt like a million break points, uh, along the way, it just wasn't, it just wasn't enough. And Yabor, who started, started really tentatively, really nervously was just grew in confidence through the match and, and Muguruza by the end of it just did not have an answer to to the variety that that Yabor brings to a tennis court. No, I've been really impressed with Ons Yabor um recently. I, I watched her play, I watched the final in Birmingham here. Um and I've been really impressed with her and I watched her first round match at, at Wimbledon as well. Um yeah, really, really impressive with Ons Yabor. I think she's got a huge, great future. Um, you know, she plays really well. She's really just she's just there and 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 doing she's the right there. things <laughs> and and it's going to be really tough for anyone that she comes across to um have the right answers mm. to beat her so she yeah. plays she plays with so much belief i think yes and you know she talked about yes you know she she's embracing i think being this role model in the you know the arab world and and to women and you know i think i don't think she necessarily was expecting it uh you know i think you know kind of reading between the lines in an interview she's i think as i said she's embracing it and i think she's embracing it really really well really really positively she's almost seeing it as like a challenge and yeah to get a win against muguruza who i you know i was saying was playing some of the best tennis i thought in the in the first kind of couple of rounds you know to come through was was very good i mean we had Sviontek as well um again another player who is becoming very very a dab hand, really, uh, you know, uh, uh, multiple surfaces. She is 
she came through against Begu in, in just 55 minutes. It was, again, another match that was just very, 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 very emphatic. Um, so oh, who, know, who knows what is going to happen with Shion Tech? I mean, that is going to be uh, a, a definitely a, a player to watch in, in the second week. Um, another, another player also who had a storming victory was Sabalenka. Who had that, you know, had that topsy turvy match against Bolta, uh, came up against Colombian qualifier Maria Camilla Osario Serrano, beat her love, love and three. Sabalenka, I mean, I mean, I keep wanting to call you Kim. I'm sorry, Lee. It's um, all right. That's what you're used to. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about before, before coming on air for the podcast. You, you've, you've got your eye on Sabalenka. You think that, you know, you, do you think Wimbledon is this, is this going to be a time that she's going to finally, finally break through i think for me if you take the number one seed barty and you take the number two seed sabalenka to me sabalenka is the one that i favor over those two to to win it whether they meet in the final or not i'm not sure i think they probably will meet in the final um but i think sabalenka she's just going along doing her thing she's very much made a statement that she's there but she's not attracting a huge amount of, of attention um because she's she's playing matches that she you expect her to win at the moment. It's I think what will really sort of show her is when she comes up against uh, a player that is a is a more of a test for her. I mean, I don't think Asario Serrano was a, was a particular test for her. Um, you know, so I think when she comes across a player that is going to be a big test for her, that will then showcase i mean she's 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 got ribakina on court three on monday so that again is not going to be a showcase of her talents to a wide audience and it's just, getting, it's just getting through it isn't it yeah so but i think when she gets to the end of the week i think that will surprise some people and they'll see she's had you know she's had a really decent run through the tournament and and that's my tip for the win but <laughs> But well, we also <laughs> we, we also had Samsonova as well uh, extend her winning streak to ten matches. She mm. took out Sloane Stevens, which for me was a little bit of an upset. I don't I know that Samsonova is in in good form at the moment, um, but yeah, she came through against Sloane Stevens six two two six six four. Again, very very impressive. Also, another wild card. I mean, the wild card picks have been, I think, very very. They've done very well with their wild cards. They've not been, I think, wasted on on players that you know got out in the first round or whatever. We're seeing, you know, with Raducanu and Sabzadova. There's been a few, but there's been yeah. some standout ones which has been good and a good yeah. use of the wild cards, definitely. And we have Madison Keys as well, who again, I think, a player that not really many people uh, have been talking about, and obviously not a, a Grand Slam champion, but someone who's been to, I think, the semi-finals at Wimbledon. Has she been to the semi-finals at Wimbledon before or quarter-finals? Anyway, she is, again, a, a, a player, I think, has announced herself with that win against Elise Mertens um, in straight sets, five and three, uh, back into the fourth round, first time since 2016. Sorry, she got to the quarterfinals in, in 2015. So, again, another player who seems to be maybe a little bit like Angie Kerber, just kind of peaking at the right time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think <sighs> Keyes is doing doing well, so... Will um, be interesting to see what happens going forwards. Before we kind of look at Manic Monday and all the glorious, the feast of, of round four matches we have, let's quickly talk about Nick Kyrgios and Venus Williams mixed doubles. I mean, they beat Austin Krychek and Sabrina Santa Maria six three three six seven five. I mean, Santa Maria 
they should have I don't know how this match ended seven five in the third. Her serve I'm mean, five foot two. They should be they should have been breaking that serve at will in my in my head. Um but but anyway, it was such a it was such a fun match, wasn't it? Just to see two legends of the game. Uh well legends, one legend of the game, one <laughs> one you know one well, legend well, in his own right, let's say. Um <laughs> Um play with each other i mean that was just such a yeah. that was just such a fun encounter wasn't it it, it was fun it reminded me a, a little bit of the you know the andy murray serena williams partnership of a couple of years ago um you know getting you know big names that are not necessarily double specialists but in there to to just to play it and have a bit of fun and um kind of put a show on for 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 the ticket holders um i don't think that I mean, they haven't pulled out of um, the next round yet, but I, I would be surprised if Kyrgios, um doesn't pull out of the next round, given his injury in singles. I think that probably might. I think that's probably a given. But um, yeah, um, it's it's. There's been some fun pairings in the mixed doubles because uh, the the one that the one that stood out to me in the in the draw sheet was Naomi Brody and Jeremy Shardy partnering um and interesting they won their first round and then they got a walk over into the second round because there were no alternates that signed in um i think anyone who anyone who has been able to sign in and play mixed doubles has been able to, and they've ran out of people now to sign in on the mixed doubles so that was a bit interesting we had a Similar situation in the women's doubles with Krejcikova and Siniakova. They've had like a double walkover into the third round because there weren't any alternates to to take their first round spot, and and then their second round opponents uh, withdrew. So um, yeah, I don't think there's been any real surprises in the women's doubles, um, but in the men's, we've all, already lost Murray and Suarez, and we've lost the Skopsky brothers. We've lost Herbert and Mahu because um, Herbert had to retire. Um, injured after the first set, so um, that was in an all French battle with with Shardy and Martin in the, uh, on the other side. So um, there's a couple of surprise losses on the on the men's side, but the women's draw seems to be going as expected, really. And looking forward to Monday, Manic Monday, uh, as always, uh, we've got a lot of well, all the round four matches in the singles uh, across the men and women's draws. I mean. We've not got long left, but where 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 would you be heading uh, if you were if you were there? I mean, you've got Center, you've got Djokovic, Garin, Goff, Kerber, Federer, Sonigo. I mean, that those all feel. I mean, the 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 women's match there for me is probably the the highlight. Goff, Kerber. I feel like Djokovic, Garin, Federer, Sonigo. Those feel relatively straightforward. Um, Ojet Aliassime versus Zverev. That could be quite fun. Um, and then Radikanu Tomjanovic on on court one at the end of the day, again big 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 test for well big big test for both of them. Um, Tomjanovic now, as I said, a player who has had issues closing matches. Um, you know she, she might be in that situation again. Who knows? Um, but that's going to be a fascinating encounter as well. I think I think where I would go is court number two for Shviontek versus Jabir. Um, they, you know, I think that I think that has the potential to develop into a rivalry going forward. They played in Washington in 2019, and Shriontek won that one. Um, I think Jabir might just have the edge this time, being on grass and the form that she's had. We'll have to see. It's interesting. And then following that, Martin Fushevix and Andre <laughs> the, the Rublev. The rivalry that keeps on giving. Yeah, part five. <laughs> um, 
of just this year because they they'd played before as well. I mean, Rublev has won the four matches that they've played this year. Would have been five, but for the walkover in Doha, um, it'd be interesting to see if Martin has anything this time um, against Rublev. Um, I, I suspect that it was going to go Andre's way um, once again. Um, but yeah, the the other interesting one you you mentioned, Orgarelia um, scene versus Zverev. Zverev has won every match that they've played so far um, over the three times. So I, and I think that's going to be the case again. Um, I've, I've noticed that the, the tournament organizers after uh, quarter beat Dan Evans has gone from center court all the way out to court 18 uh, <laughs> for Karen, for his match against Karen Kachinov. There's nothing um, wrong with court 18. It's okay, a nice okay. court. It's a lovely court. <laughs> I, uh, I would be quite happy to, to have a ticket for court 18 um, on, on Monday as well. I, I, you know, any of those courts, I, I think for me, court number two is the pick. I, I center court seems to be in, in terms of the men's matches, Djokovic and Federer, those seem to be quite easy matches for those to win. So I think they'd be quite one-sided. I think that will be, you know, done three sets, both of those early. I think go from Kerber, a little bit different, but um, it'd be interesting. And, and Lee, just before we finish, we've got to say this is the last middle Sunday that is going to happen with no play at Wimbledon from next year. There will be play on this day. Um, and... I- I mean, are you emotional about it? I'm not. I think it's the right. I think it's the right decision. <laughs> you know, it's it's a weekend. Um, it, this is when you know fans uh, can watch tennis. Um, so for me, it's it's just something that yeah, it might have been a tradition that has lasted for decades, and maybe some people see it as part of the the Wimbledon fabric, the Wimbledon DNA. But quite honestly, as as a fan. Uh, I want to watch as much tennis as possible. And if they're not playing tennis on a, on a Sunday, they, they need to rectify it. So I'm glad they have done that. Yeah, it also means the end of Manic Monday, which, I mean, to be honest, um, every day up in the first week, if you're trying to follow it like we do, are all Manic, really. Um, you know, Ma- Fr- Friday, 11 o'clock, we had eight matches starting at the same time because they scheduled them all at the same time, the singles matches. I mean, you know, try, try and follow eight matches all at the same time is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so... Manic Monday will be the end of that, um, also, but actually I think that's probably a good thing spreading those, those fourth round matches, um, across the Sunday and the Monday, um, will be, gives, gives, you know, an opportunity for fans to see more tennis. I, I, I won't lie. I do quite like having the rest in the middle of a grand slam <laughs> just to, relax and calm down no, and catch up, and no, catch up on life um, absolutely not i want it i want it fast and furious um, but, but yeah but, it, but it's not the end of the world and 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 yeah and and obviously it makes commercial sense for them to do it as well because they that's an extra day they can sell tickets an extra day that they can get fans in an extra day that tv companies around the world can sell advertising around the um the the, the matches so um it absolutely makes commercial sense to do it all the other grand slams do it i think i think roland garros starts on a sunday and has an even you know another day um <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know um I, th- I think that's more about court assignments and things um making sure that they can get every first round match played within three days i think they struggle with two so um it, you know, it absolutely makes sense. Um, it's, it's, it's been, it's, I think it's been coming for a while. It's just, um, someone had to sort of sign on the dotted line and say, yes, make it happen. 
Yes. And uh, yes, listeners, I hope you've lis- enjoyed listening to this round three, round by round catch up with the passing shot. Lee, it's been a pleasure as always to have you on the show. That's quite all right. Anytime. <laughs> next, next time you go on holiday and I'll do it with Kim. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. I don't take holidays, so, you know, no, uh, yeah, of course. Um, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Passing Shot. Remember to stay up to date on all things Wimbledon by subscribing to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you have been enjoying listening to the show on Apple Podcasts and you want to help the show out, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. You can uh, follow the Passing Shot podcast on Twitter at Passing Shot Pod and on Instagram. And you can also email the show at PassingShotPod at gmail.com. I think I've got that right, Joel. Yes, that's completely correct. You passed the test. Um, <laughs> yes, this is, we will be back. We're going to be back Monday. We're going to be back tomorrow evening, recapping all of Manic Monday. I will be back with Kim. Kim is back from her holiday. So I hope you can join us for our round four, round by round catch up on Monday evening. And we will see you again soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.